No Fiuk, Chapter 20, page 1055 in the Church Bible. And we're starting to read at verse 20. Luke, Chapter 20, verse 20. Keeping a close watch on him, the teachers of the law and the chief priests sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public and astonished by his answer, they became silent. Thanks, Val. Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you for letting me to be here together as we look at this passage. Um, I, so I bring warm greetings from Wheatley. Thank you for letting me go and uh, preach there uh, to support them. Uh, if you're not familiar, Wheatley is um, a community church. They're just forming. They've been going about a year now. Um, it's largely made up of people from four different churches in Oxford who all live in Wheatley and uh, want to start a church in their local community. And it's going really well. Uh, lots and lots of challenges, but um, they're hugely encouraged by the fact that we're praying for them and that we send occasional people over to uh, encourage them and preach. So thanks for letting me go and please continue to pray for them. Uh, as we look at this passage, I just want to read to us uh, a couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 4. You don't need to turn to it, but it just reminds us of why we open the Bible and why we preach in church. So let's come to this together as I pray. The writer says in Hebrews 4 verse 12, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Heavenly Father, I pray that tonight the word of God would indeed be alive and active in our lives. That you would be our teacher. That you'd help us to take this short passage and understand the depth of what Jesus was speaking in these words to these religious leaders. And might that spur us on to want to go from this place ready for Monday morning to worship you with all of our lives. So would you be our teacher now, we pray, through the power of your spirit. Amen. Great, well, the, the subject, as uh, Wellesley's already put up and is on the screen, the cult, whose authority should I accept? Which is a sort of a topic, really. We're living in a culture that is quite sceptical of authority. Have a think of environments that you work in or are aware of where authority, there's a scepticism towards it. I guess largely and, and rightly so in many ways, it's because authority has been abused that we're more sceptical of authority. We can even be sceptical of authority within the church because there are abuses of power within the church. People make mistakes. 
Um, but that can cause real challenge and problems when we come to a passage like this, which asks that question, whose authority should I accept? Just uh, open your Bibles up if you could. Notice the context of where Jesus is when he's speaking these words. Go back to the beginning of chapter 20. Jesus is in the temple. Uh, and we, uh, Alan took us through the first half of chapter 20. Lots going on in that. But he's in the temple. He's teaching. And by verse 19, as we ended last week, um, the religious leaders are looking to arrest Jesus. Look at verse 19. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. We wind back two verses, 17 and 18. That helps us understand what was it, this parable that Jesus spoke against the religious leaders. And it says there in verse 17, he quotes at them a scripture from Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then he speaks a real rebuke to them when he says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. He's saying to the religious leaders, if you get the identity of Jesus wrong, that's seriously serious. And you will face his judgment one day. And they hate that. They absolutely hate it. So the context is one of growing hostility towards Jesus. You see that particularly towards the end of Luke's gospel. And so notice how our passage starts. Uh, the religious leaders, keeping a close watch on him, sent spies. They're totally spineless, these leaders. They have got so frustrated with the brilliant responses Jesus has given that they now send the kind of minions to do their dirty work. They send spies. Keep an eye on this fella. We want to catch him out. We want to see if we can put him under. And notice there, it talks about him then pretending to be sincere. The religious leaders, in many ways, had turned their backs on Jesus. Uh, they had tried to um, challenge him before. Uh, I remember I, in an earlier uh, sermon on this uh, series, we looked at this passage. This is where Simeon is speaking uh, to Mary, the brother of Jesus, at Jesus' birth. And they say of Jesus, this child, Jesus, is destined to cause the fa- falling and rising of many in Israel. And then later on, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So right at the birth of Jesus, people are announcing that this is a man who's going to cause division. And then all through his ministry, Jesus does exactly that. And you get to chapter 6, verse 7. Chapter 6 of Luke is the, the passage where Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders go, oh, you can't do that. So they look for a reason to accuse him. You then wind on a bit further to chapter 23, a bit more further on from the passage we're in. It's absolutely astonishing what they try to do when Jesus is being trialed. They say of him, Jesus opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. If you're paying attention in the story we just had read, he doesn't do that at all. They're just lying about what he hasn't said to try and catch him out. So the hostility towards Jesus is really, really growing But focus on the question, verse 21. The spies questioned him. Teacher. What's ironic about that? Exactly. It's a kind of false flattery. They're calling him teacher, but they don't recognize him as a teacher at all. They wanted to kill him. There's there's humor and irony all through this passage, but it's a sort of snarky remark. Oh, teacher, come on. And they say, teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right. (laughs) As if they don't believe that that is true. And that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God. The way of God that they should have known as religious leaders but they weren't listening to. And then they ask this question, verse 22. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
Now, we need to grasp what's going on here because this is really a question about power. So I'll give us a bit of context to understand. Back at this time, there were Caesars. They were the emperors of Rome. And the Caesars were worshipped. They were kind of Roman, they were deified. They were Roman gods. And there was emperor worship where people bowed down to the Caesar. He had complete and utter authority. There were different Caesars in Luke's gospel. You know the Caesar from chapter 2, the Christmas reading. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken across the whole in Roman world. That was Caesar Augustus. By the time of this particular chapter, it's a different Caesar. It's a guy called Caesar Tiberius. But talking about the authority of the Caesar was a real sticking point for the Jews. It's the kind of thing that they would talk about on the way to synagogue, the thing they'd talk about in their homes, because they hated Caesar You'll know, um, you'll know uh, Levi and Zacchaeus, the tax collectors. They collected um, taxes locally. There was also a different tax that everyone had to pay. It was called a poll tax, and you paid that to the Roman emperor. It essentially went into his coffers so he could live in luxury. And everyone had to pay it, even the Jews, and they didn't feel that he should have this kind of authority over them. So it's a really sore topic, this whole, should I be paying taxes to an emperor that I don't even respect? On a coin, a denarius, this isn't a denarius, just a two-pound coin, I haven't got a Roman denarius, but on a coin there was a picture of Caesar, something they would use every single day. And as a Jew looked at this and they saw the head of Caesar on it, it would be a reminder of them every day, they are subjected to the authority of Rome. Everything they buy, they recognize we are Jews, but we're under the authority of Rome. So they hated the Romans. There was also what was called debasement going on. Probably 600 years before Jesus, there were silver coins. They were really made of silver. They were worth something. But the Romans cottoned on that they could melt the the silver down, make the inside of a coin out of copper, and then put silver on the outside so it looked like a silver coin. And they were doing this all the time as well, cheating all the time. So the Jews got really cross. Not only were they reminded every day that they were under the thumb of the Caesar, but they knew that the money they held in their hand wasn't really worth what it claimed to be worth. Now, that's all context, but there were two groups of Jews who wouldn't pay this tax. One was the Essenes. If you know know anything about the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Essenes were a very religious, tight-knit group of Jews who went to live in the caves, and they kind of wanted to separate themselves from everyone because they didn't want to be polluted by Roman rule. So the Dead Sea Scrolls are some of the things that they had written. The Essenes, the other group of Jews who didn't want to pay the tax were the Zealots. They were kind of like freedom fighters. And they were planning to overthrow the Romans in riots, and occasionally they would riot, and the Roman army would just clamp down on them, and they would get crucified. But there were two groups of people who weren't paying. So that all, all that context helps us to grasp there's a lot going on here when they asked Jesus this question, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? It was a major hot topic of the day. But the question was also a trap. Have a think about it. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? If Jesus says no... What were people going to think of him? Rebel. Rebel. He doesn't want to obey the authorities. Jesus can't do that. If he says yes, then the zealots and the the really keen Jews would turn against Jesus because they're saying, why are you admitting that the, the authorities, the Roman authorities have power over us? So Jesus is caught between a rock and a hard place. No and yes, either answer he gives is going to catch him out. But I love verse 23. Do you notice? He saw through their duplicity. Now that word duplicity comes up twice in the book of 2 Corinthians. And on both occasions it's speaking of the work of the devil in deceiving. 
So it's probably a very deliberate word that Luke uses here. He's speaking about deception. Jesus sees through their duplicity. And that shouldn't surprise us, should it? He is the Lord of everything, who sees everything. Uh, That's definitely a challenge to you and me. He sees our motives as well as the actual things that we do. He sees straight through what they're trying to do through their false humility, teacher, as if. He sees through their duplicity. And he then says, show me a denarius. Whose portrait and description are on it? Well, there's a denarius. There's a picture of one. This is a denarius from Caesar Augustus. If you look here, oh, can you see here the word Caesar written around the outside and Augustus here? So this would have been one of the coins that was used when Jesus was born. So he asks them the question, whose image is on it and whose inscription? And it's amazing, really. This is a, a denarius was a kind of average day's wage. So everyone would have one of these in their pocket. And as I said earlier, everyone would be seeing Caesar's picture on it and Caesar's inscription. And he says, whose is on it? And of course, they get their answer right. They say Caesar's. But the answer he then gives is absolutely astonishing because rather like a coin that is two-sided, Jesus' response is two-sided too. He says, amazingly, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. It's a double-edged coin. On the one hand, he's saying, you should acknowledge the state authority over you. And that is a good thing to do. But then on the other hand, he's also acknowledging and drawing attention to God's providence over that state. So he's saying to these religious leaders, you can be a good citizen of the state and a loyal subject and servant of God. They can work together. Of course, this isn't the answer they were expecting at all. They wanted a yes or no. They're going to trap him. He doesn't give them that answer. Then if you notice too, he doesn't respond to their question with an answer. He actually asks them a question. Jesus is a lot more clever than they realize. And they're really, really angry because they haven't managed to trap him again. So notice what they say in verse 25. They were unable to trap him, astonished by his answer. So they became silent. I love that. It's kind of like Jesus having the last laugh. The passage started with this kind of trickery and deception. The passage ends with them being silenced. Jesus is in complete and utter control through all of their deception and all their trickery. But just three little things to take away from this. The first one, it's a bit of a surprise. Christians should be taking a lead in being law-abiding citizens. I'm not going to read all these verses to you, but you'll be familiar, I hope, with Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter 2. Uh, For the sake of the tape, in fact, I will read these verses. But these are verses that Paul and Peter spoke about authority. He's speaking to churches. He says this, Romans chapter 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And then Peter says something similar in 1 Peter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. And here's the amazing thing. Honor the emperor. Those people would not want to honor the emperor. How many times do you and I not want to honor the state because we feel that the state are dishonest? We feel that the state are making mistakes. 
But these two passages hit us between the eyes and say, no, all authority is given by God, even authority that is abused. And it's right, wherever possible, to take a lead in being law-abiding citizens. Just to have a think about this, um, many of us will complete tax returns every year. I hope none of us lie in our tax returns. It's quite easy to. It would be very easy to be dishonest on them. Something that's a little more subtle is just perhaps not including something that could be taxed. So you're not blatantly putting something down to get tax rebate on something you never bought, but it'd be quite easy just to accidentally on purpose leave something out because you're going to get a bigger tax bill. That's a real challenge. But we should be utterly honest in our tax returns. Just an example. Uh, Voting. Some people are really into politics, think it's a really important thing to do. Others just say, well, it doesn't really bother me. It doesn't impact me. I'm not going to. I think as Christians, we should always vote. We should be engaged with our local politicians. We should be showing a care and concern for the government in our land. And we should be praying for them. Even if we disagree with policy, even if we don't think that they lead us well. Because it's recognition that their authority over us is actually authority that they are given by God. Uh, Speed limits. 80 80 is the new 70, isn't it? We all do it. But 70 is the law. And there's a reason for it. And as Christians, we should be driving at the speed limit. It's very simple, but there's no reason why we can make up the rules ourselves. Jury service. It's a great privilege to be able to go on jury service. Sometimes you're called, oh, I don't want to go on this. It's going to really disrupt my year, my week. Actually, it's a great thing to do and to throw our heart into prayerfully to support our country. Very few countries in the world have jury service. Just a few examples, but we are called to take a lead in being law-abiding citizens. And that is exactly the point Jesus is making, where he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. If the emperor demands taxes, even if you don't think it's fair, honor the emperor. Because by doing so, you're showing that you're honoring the greater authority over the emperor. What's the obvious burning question, though, that you're probably thinking? Where's the line? The Bible says, in most places, there's not, it's not so much that we live in sort of two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, kind of governed by the state, and there's a kingdom of God governed by God, and we live in one or the other. Far more in Scripture, the two are overlapped, and God calls us to kind of be salt and light in the brokenness of our world. Of course, we should be obedient to the state, but there may well come a time when a primary loyalty to Jesus means that we can't be obedient to the state. You may be familiar with this verse in 1 Peter. In your hearts, set apart Christ Jesus as Lord. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know that your loyalty to him always comes before your loyalty to anyone else, even if it costs you. We're pretty immune from what that actually means. But if you were to go to some countries in the world, places like China, North Korea, Syria at the moment, to name just a few, People, Christians, are living this out. They want to be obedient to the state, but the state is asking them to do things that is dishonoring to God. And they're making a stand, and it's costing people everything. You pick up a newspaper, you realize what people are giving up because their primary loyalty is to Jesus. I don't suppose you'll know who this chap is. He lived in 155 AD. Well, that's the year he died. He's called Polycarp. He lived in a place called Smyrna. It's a great name, isn't it? Polycarp. Uh, he was a disciple of the Apostle John. And uh, Rome, the Romans tried to persuade him to bow down to the emperor. He was what was called one of the early church fathers. He helped when the early church formed after the book of Acts to kind of get going. 
And they asked him to bow down to the emperor. Of course, primary loyalty to Jesus Christ, there's only one God, and it's not the emperor. I'll respect him, but I won't bow down to him. And Polycarp refused. And that's a picture of him being burned at the stake for refusing. What I love about him, this chap was 86 when he died. And this is what he said. He's on fire for the Lord, and he's 86. 86 years I have been Christ's servant, and he has done me no wrong. How could I blaspheme my king who saved me? Isn't that amazing? And he was burned alive because his primary loyalty to Christ came first. It's kind of similar to, if you know the book of Daniel, Daniel and his three friends wouldn't bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And so they were thrown into the fiery furnace. But they were in a context where they were serving in that, ter- in that city. They were in places of government. But there came a point where their primary loyalty to Christ came first. If you keep an eye on the news, I think things are changing in this country. And I believe it will be harder and harder for us to have the freedom that we have as Christian believers. And I don't think that in our lifetime, particularly those of us who are younger, it will be anywhere near as easy as it is for us. Uh, just at the FIC Leaders Conference, I was talking to Wellesley a bit about this. We were having a drink one evening, and it is worrying. And as leaders, we were praying and talking about the state of our nation, and slightly tongue-in-cheek, but with a serious point. I remember joking to Wellesley and said, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I end up in prison for preaching the gospel. And it was lovely for him to respond, well, I'll see you in there then, fella. <laughs> now, we were joking, but to be serious, if there comes a point where we're not allowed to do this, gather in our own building and preach the word of God, then it's really simple. We just keep preaching the word of God. Whatever the cost. Because our primary loyalty is to him. Well, Christians should be taking a lead in being law-abiding citizens. Where's the line? Primary loyalty to Jesus sometimes means that he comes first. It always means he comes first, but sometimes it means that we have to disobey the state. But the bigger point that Jesus is making in this passage is he's getting to the point where he says, listen, paying taxes actually is nothing. Remember the coin again? He says to them, look at this coin. Whose image and inscription is on it? And they go, Caesar's. So he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. But I want you to think about the whole of creation. What is it in the whole of God's creation that best bears his image? Us. God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You and I are made in the image of God. So when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, because the image of Caesar is on the coin, and then he says, give to God what is God's, he's saying, you pay your taxes, but then give your lives to God in service. It's an absolutely astonishing thing that he says to challenge them. Now think about the context, just as we come to a close. Chapter 9, verse 51, as Alan helpfully pointed out, is a key verse in in Luke's gospel. It says, Jesus sets his heart resolutely for Jerusalem. And everything from chapter 9, verse 51 of Luke towards the end is him on his journey. Why is he coming to Jerusalem? Well, he comes to Jerusalem. He goes, chapter 20, straight to the temple, the heart of God's people, the symbolic heart of the city. But that place that's meant to represent the heart of God's people in the city had been terribly abused by religion. Religion had replaced relationship with God. And so Jesus comes and he challenges, says, I'm going to tear down this temple. In three days, I'll rebuild it. Everyone goes, no way. It took 40 years to build this. You couldn't rebuild it in three days. He goes, oh, you don't understand what kind of temple I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a physical temple made of bricks. I'm talking about myself. I will give my life on the cross, but I will rise again. The temple will be rebuilt. 
And the temple then will not be built of stone around Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. The temple will be built of you and of me, my people, around Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Do you see why this passage about giving to Caesar what is Caesar's, giving to God what is God's, is so significant given the context? Because Jesus is about to go to his death. And when Jesus hung on that cross, he's dying in our place because you and I owe God a burden that we cannot pay. But on the cross, amazingly, he paid the burden that we cannot pay so that we could be free. And now we don't give to God so that he loves us, so that he forgives us. We give to God because we can, because he has first freed us. So today, living the other side of the cross, when we read these words, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, we should be taking a lead in being law-abiding citizens. Yes, there's a line, but most of us won't have to cross it very often. But far more importantly, we're to give to God what is God's. And you'll know those verses at the beginning of Romans. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Jesus was saying far more in those words than the religious leaders ever believed. And I hope that he was perhaps saying far more to us tonight. That we can go from here now and give him our lives in response to all that he has first done for us.